I would like to hear from you, man. Like, uh, what is your story? And I saw all these really interesting things you put out in your uh, in in the the Google Sheets that that, that you yeah. filled out, the Google Forms. And I just yeah. thought that that was fascinating. So we could talk about we we we'll go ahead and talk about uh, the topics a little bit later. But initially, I'm I'm more curious to know your story um, and what kind of brings you here. Well, I mean, I think what brings me here is how how much have I learned in through podcasts, right? Like, I think that's my main point. Like, I've learned a lot through podcasts, and I think doing podcasts to also share your take is is also really nice. I mean, I'm not sure like how much. I, I mean, I'm not so sure about how much you can share with people because I don't think I'm an expert at so much stuff. I mean, at, at the end of the day, we're just armchair philosophers, you know. Like, we're just kind of uh, as in Spanish would say from the uh, from the bar just speaking bullshit, right? Um, but I think it's always nice to engage in conversations because that's how how you learn. I mean, of course, the the podcasts I enjoy more are, for example, Lex Friedman. I guess you you must know him, right? Like uh, having access to such brilliant people, I I think it's just wonderful. It's it's amazing. Like I could have never imagine like a world where you could just uh hear to roger penrose uh or to so brilliant people right it's it just it's as if you had a lot of documentation on albert einstein and how he would think it's kind of the same right like in, in 50 years i think people will, will will go back to those podcasts and be like oh that guy that guy wasn't something right like i, I think a lot of these ideas will be revisited in the future and and i think we will see like how how people uh, thought at the time. So I think it's really nice to also do that, right? To kind of have some memories about what your, your thoughts were at the time, right? Because maybe in 10 years, I will see this podcast and I will think, oh, I, that, I, I think like really different from, from that, or, or maybe I was wrong uh, on those things. And so I can kind of reflect on, on how my thought has changed um, through time. So I, I think that way I have an, an interest in, in podcasting. Uh, I mean, my English ca- can be choppy sometimes. I, I have uh, trouble looking for words, but but I guess I guess I make up for it in in substance, or at least I would hope so. Um, and yeah, like I mean, I'm interested in a, in, in a lot of things, mainly because curiosity. Like I I don't think there's like another reason. It's just curiosity and the intellectual intellectual challenge that things suppose. Like I mean. It's not that I like physics so much, but sometimes I will look at uh, quantum physics um, lectures just because of the intellectual challenge, right? It's just something that I enjoy. It's kind of like uh, exercising your brain. So that's what I have used podcasts for a while, just to get new ideas and, and think and stuff. Because to be honest, like I, those, I, I could not find those ideas in my environment in in 10 years i mean of course i could like i would meet some of the people but the fact that you can connect with people throughout the world i think that's that's wonderful and 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 creating a community uh with like-minded people um that that surpasses all all time and and location limits i think that's that's amazing man there's so much you said and so many things that i can go off of and i want to come to uh, who you consider yourself to be and your story as well in brief 
but uh, a few things I want to comment on. First thing you said, you're not an expert at one thing, but you, you learn about everything. And uh, I think this is just fantastic. I consider myself to be the same, uh, a kind of generalist or what David Epstein would say, being a range or having a range of knowledge about a little bit about everything. So all those ideas, when they connect, they just kind of like go. And so this is the whole idea about transdisciplinarity as well, right? Where we're trying to build or we in itself are transdisciplinary beings because we have such unique experiences, unique uh, interests, which all come out of things like curiosity. One of the greatest gifts I believe mankind has curiosity and exploration, which has gotten us to this point. Like what you said is fantastic because who could imagine like hundred years before this, that there will be two people communicating across the world who have never met before just to discuss ideas through a podcast. And this is going to be out there in the world uh, going to create this ripple effect where other people are like, whoa, okay, interesting. I want to be a part of this and join this and talk more into this. So I just think technology has become so crazy because of um, the share, sharing of information because this in a form, so Richard Dawkins, I, I saw what he came up with a term called memes. And today, if you see, it's become like internet memes, but originally the word memes is information that's passed down through language, through culture and all these things, right? Like genes are genetic information passed around to biology. Memes are, are verbal information or artistic information or information about reality passed down through words. And I believe podcast is a form of meme because we're, we're basically passing down information. What What's happening around us, our realities, uh, what we can be doing across the globe. Um, and I'm putting it out in this crazy thing called the internet, this technology, which is going all berserk, uh, connecting people all around the world and kind of creating this global uh, village of a sort. So I just think what you, what you said is fantastic. And we can speak more about just technology because I know you're interested in that technology, data, economics, progress, all this stuff. But before we actually get into that, I still want to, um, if I was to ask you, who are you and, uh, and what is your story? So who are you as in like in the present moment currently and your story as in a little bit of your past and what brings you to this moment? Mm. Well, uh, I would describe myself as a as a nerd that has figured out how to do all the things uh, normal people are supposed to do, right? Like, uh, I, I mean, I, I am kind of like really nerdy, and I was the nerd uh, back in my back in my high school years. Like, I I was the only one in my class with a, a tower PC, uh, and I was like playing uh, video games on my computer like all day, like. I mean, uh, I, I am a really video game nerd and that's what I did for like most of my high school years. Um, and that's how I, for example, learned English, right? I learned English through uh, gameplays. Like actually I remember, uh, I, I mean, I was following the, the Spanish uh, Call of Duty community, but then I, I found uh, a girl that did gameplays and she was really cute. So I was, I was, I would always listen to her even though if I didn't like um, understand it much and it was throughout my uh, my like for the girl my, my like for the girl and, and video games that I learned English in a in a way uh, then I also like for example uh, watched a lot of different um, videos uh, in YouTube and that's mainly how I how I practice it and how I'm able to kind of uh, be good at it now Days. I didn't do like a lot of English Academy that kind of thing like all of my friends were all like always going to the academy and I would 
So I would think that was like not really practical. And those friends nowadays, uh, they actually are not that fluent in it. So I, I guess if everyone, if someone is listening to, to this, uh, I would, uh, I would uh, tell you that you should not take your friends to an English academy, but just uh, make them play video games online with, <laughs> with people from around the world. I think that's the best way. Um, and then just so from being quick, on my computer, I start. One quick yeah. comment on that. Uh, that's just very interesting because I've thought about this as well. I, I've not played too many video games because of how I was brought up, but uh, I know like this is one thing I uh, vouch for, which is learning and uh, like gaining knowledge and becoming more intelligent uh, or basically educating through games and through stories rather than through like bookish knowledge or the way it's done in schools where they take the joy away from learning. So I'm super big on uh, building a sort of learning system that's more experiential where you actually have fun, like a video game, but you also learn at the same time. So uh, that's just a side point, but you continue uh, with yeah. who you are in your story. No, yeah, it's about creating the, it's creating the need for it. If you're studying English, but you don't need it because you don't know an English person that you should talk to, then if you don't need it, then you, you're, you're not going to use it. But if you find out that you are playing with someone and he talks in English, then you have that need and then you have that motivation to, to get better at it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I consider myself a kind of free thinker in the way that through internet uh, I could create my own mindset, right? So like I have, I have never followed my parents uh, ideology-wise. I've always kind of created my own values through the internet and, and through watching other people and and i think those those have been have been my role models in life right like a lot of people have uh different role models like uh, like their parents maybe family friends but i was never really like my friends i was i would always like learn from people in the internet like different kind of uh, things. I mean, like, I, 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 for example, I, I started watching a lot of social dynamics videos because I, I, I mean, it was like my nerd me. I was like, okay, I, I see that I have some kind of, I mean, I wasn't like socially retarded or anything like that, but I know I, I could see I wasn't uh, that I friendly. You, I, yes, yeah. Like I, I, know, I know, I know I had to improve in kind of like making friends and relating with them, all that kind of thing. And that's, that's how I, that's how I learned in a way to, to socialize and behave. It was through people on the internet that told me like, oh yeah, like maybe you shouldn't have that kind of mind frame. Maybe I will give you this mind frame that will uh, work better. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take it. And I just reprogrammed myself to, to that mind frame so that I could perform better. Uh, and that's, that, I think that's the thing. That's the key thing. I am, I can, I like to reprogram myself. I am always, asking myself how could I behave better and, and how could I do things differently uh, and, and understand them better. And, and I think that's what, um, that's my key uh, identity. It just, I don't have like an identity. I just, my identity is uh, the, the pragmatic identity in a way, right? Like I, uh, it's like, I don't have a, a way of being my way of being is what I think it's better, but that changes right bit at, at any time. And so this and is very, sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, man, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so I'm just saying this is very interesting because 
uh, not having, so two things. Firstly is not having a set identity or a being that is uh, like just one. I think that's brilliant because then you're always flowing. You're always moving. You're always changing. You're always with sync with, with everything that's around, very adaptable. Uh, so that I, I completely uh, believe in that and uh, go by that as well. And secondly, it relates to this idea of utopia or this utopia that they say is perfect, this perfect society, and that could be applied to the individual level, the perfect being. But when you think about it, or at least here's my belief, and I'm curious to know yours, um, can we ever be perfect in anything? Uh, and, and is there ever an end to perfection? Or do you believe that it's an infinite game? So that's one. And then that connects to this whole, you said reprogramming the mind and it connects to this whole world of uh, sort of self-help and also personal developments, personal growth and, and all this stuff. So I'm curious to know um, what your experience has been like with uh, changing your mind or, or uh, what tools and techniques you've used to do this and how you believe is do you ever believe there's an end to this and how you kind of digest this in an existential way like how this adds meaning to your life what, what this does to you as a person and your whole being mm, well yeah of course the, the perfect being is not static right because uh, it depends on the situation like i mean depending on the situation maybe you would behave better or worse but i think it, it always takes time to adapt in a way so like I don't, for example, I don't think the perfect being exists. exists. Uh, I mean, of course, uh, improvement is not infinite. I think it follows a diminishing returns, returns function. But I always think there is some room for improvement, right? But like, I, I don't think you can get to a point uh, where, where you cannot go further. But I mean, of course, it will, you will start uh, going going more slow, but, but there's always room for improvement in a sense. I mean, I think it's infinite in that way, but yeah, it's diminishing returns. Uh, so you believe that we're going down after a point? Like if you keep on going uh, trying to like improve after that, like your downfall starts, is that what you're saying? No, 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 no not, not downfall. Like the, for, I see the diminishing, the diminishing returns as like uh, converging in a, in a level. Like, I mean, you're not going down, but you're also not going up or like going up very slow. Because my understanding of the law of diminishing returns is that after one unit extra, there's a point where it starts to reduce value than gain. So like an example, in a kitchen, there's one chef, it's doing this level good. And then there's two chefs, it's become better, more efficiency, more taste, more effectiveness, three chefs, even better. But then after a point, it's like there's not enough space for more chefs to fit. So if you start at a fourth chef, then the quality of food starts going down. Uh, marginally in a diminishing way the return becomes no. diminishing no i think in diminishing returns uh what goes down is not the the level you're at but the how much you improve so it's not like you go it's ah, not okay like you, you're saying the rate of improvement goes down yeah like the rate yeah the the, the rate of improvement goes down and i mean it i guess it's it gets to zero at some point or well it, it the limit is uh zero but it never uh, gets to zero actually uh, yeah, it's like, I think it's a logarithmic function, right? Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. Yes, and that's one other way I like to refer uh, utopia is where it's like this asymptotic line where you're getting closer and closer towards zero, but never zero. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly it, yes. Uh, so I think that's, that, that models most of things in life, right? I mean, enjoyment, for example, I think like the first pizza is really good. 
and then it starts getting progressively not as good. Like, I mean, and it gets yeah. to a point where it's it, it's just normal, right? You normalize everything and that's, I think- So that's I have an everything. image that I'll share so that may be better for you to kind of explain as well. Yeah, I, I, I was I was gonna, I wanted to show like a diminishing returns. Oh, well, yeah, 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 right. Like diminishing returns, like for me, it's, yeah, it gets to the, the X and then you cannot go uh, much higher. But like, yeah, no, I don't think, Neg maybe negative returns we could take into in take it into account, but, but I yeah, think like, there's uh, always a possibility to go down. But then I also believe it goes up, and uh, on an individual level, maybe not so much. Maybe after an individual, because I, I mean we die after a certain point, right? We're also decaying while we're growing, while we're going up, we're also going down. But as when I think of the entirety, when I think of humanity as a whole or nature as a whole, then I believe it, it, it never stops. Like it keeps going up and down and up and down and closer and closer to zero, but never actually there, closer and closer to infinite, but never actually there. So yeah, that's just it. But yeah, I'm still uh, curious to know a little bit about your experience with uh, how you actually reprogram yourself. And um, some, sometimes I see people uh, getting very toxically into it where it actually starts going negative than positive. Uh, but I'm curious to know your experience with it now. Yes, of course. It's, you have to be very cautious when you try to apply new things in your life because you don't really know if it's doing good or bad for you, right? Like uh, maybe you try to be a, a different self, but maybe that different self is worse. You don't know that. And and I think that's just experience and and trying different stuff. I mean, like I'm I'm not sure I I, I have a I would have a, a say in how to reprogram yourself. I think you're just like an an evolutionary system. And one day you do one thing and you see if it goes uh, um, right or wrong. And then you will take the, if it goes right, then you, you're like, okay, I gotta do more of this stuff. And if, if it goes wrong, you're you're like, okay, I, I maybe I should try the opposite or try a different thing. And I think that's just what people do with everything, right? Like I I don't think I'm special in any way because of, of doing that because trial and error is is how everything works, and that's how you basically reprogram yourself. Like you're not like, okay, right now I'm gonna be like this. It's increment it's incremental changes, right? Like you're changing your direction. Uh, but like really slowly, like you, you don't jump from one place to the other. Um, it's always like a, a continuum where you're, you're going somewhere. Maybe you're, you're changing, like maybe you're changing your direction, right? Like maybe you have this vector in your life and you see that you, you want to go here. Uh, you start to like change little by little, right? Until you see that you're going where you want, where you want. Of course, you're, you, you're never going where you want. Like you, you always uh have a change you need right like the, the point is always moving the, the direction is always moving hey, um so i also so two two very interesting ideas that come out of this i was looking into systems thinking yesterday and uh, i learned that there's three elements or three things to system thinking that are important that connects to what you're saying one is uh, elements which are what makes up this system what are these things so even the human body is an is a system and we have different elements which are physical but also non-physical intangibles that are different areas of your life that i want to improve on this i want to improve on this and it connects to other parts of your body and your environment but there's basically many elements to this and then the second part so elements are easy to identify the thing that gets a little 
little bit tricky is what they say is the relationships or the connections between these elements. And so you have these different areas of your life. You have these different tangents. You can move off to different vectors and all of them are somehow connected. And so in a way, I don't, like you're saying, it's always changing the vector. And so in a way, you never know where you're actually going, but you're just moving somewhere. And perhaps that could be, you could flip that around or you could say, we're coming from the outside to the center. Like if you see on a 3D uh, sphere and the center is always, for everyone is always the same. And when you're coming from the outside, there's just different parts you're going towards, but it's always the same center, which is uh, what me and Kanade discussed about this. And we called it the truth or the ultimate point, right? In the center and everyone's going towards it. We're always moving, changing, and then coming here. And uh, so that's the second element, the connections that uh, you build to where you go. And then the third part of this is uh, what they call, so elements, connections, and the purpose. Our purpose or the function, what is it actually doing or why is it doing it? Well, purpose is more human driven because we're uh, meaning making animals, but uh, for an in a, a non-human thing, you'd say the function of it. So different times, I believe you had different functions or different purposes that in self-development, okay, I want to do this. I'm here, I want to get here. And then this is the path I'm going to take to get there. Or, well, it never turns out to be linear. It's always like, and then you get there. Or maybe you don't get that. You pivot and go somewhere else. Um, but that somewhere that system thinking comes into my mind. Second idea is atomic movements and how you said, uh, or even systems move so slowly. It's always changing, but so, 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 so slowly. Um, like even the book Atomic Habits says, like make small progresses, small changes every day, instead of trying to like just uh, change your mind in one day, because that, that's practically not so possible. Um, and third thing, I believe what you're saying, how you're using uh, different experimentations, right? You're saying you're using different things. Okay, I'm going to try this and see if this works. If not, something else. This is the art of experimentation, I believe. And uh, today, I believe it's getting even faster or you don't need to experiment so much because of the internet. Because now you have so many people who've already tried it and uh, put it out there so you can take some of their advice and uh, use that on your own. Whereas evolutionarily, like in the jungles, our ancestors, where they didn't have internet, they had to literally try everything out, every food out and see, okay, well, this might kill me, but I need to still try because curiosity, that thing that always drives us to, to different places. Um, so yeah, those are just some connections I made in relation to what you said. Yeah, I think that's really interesting uh, of thinking of yourself as a system, right? Because of course, you're not one thing. You are your, the sum of your different parts. And, and when it comes to self-improvement, I think that's key to, to grasp it is to know that you, you have a different set of skills and that you're not improving all of them at the same time. Maybe you're focusing on one part of your life and then you have the others, right? And, and I think it's important to know that you, you cannot do all at the same time. I think it's always good to focus on one thing, focus on one aspect of your, of your life. Uh, basically because when you improve in one area, maintaining it is very, not very easy, but it's much easier than improving. So uh, what I do, for example, right now in my life is I try to focus on one thing and the, the ones I've already feel like I've improved quite a bit, I maintain them. Um, because it, it, it just stresses you out if you try to like improve in your uh, fitness uh, and your relationships and in your school at the same time, right? Maybe you're like, okay, I'm just gonna maintain on two things and then I'm gonna improve on the third uh, so I can focus and improve it more. And as I, as I said, everything gets to a point of diminishing returns. 
And I think when you, where you start seeing your diminishing returns, then you can go to another thing. I did that, for example, in, in the gym. Uh, I trained really hard for two years. I mean, I was training like six days a week. Uh, and now that I've created like my physique, now I can just train for two or three and then have time for other stuff, right? And, and I think that's with everything. Maybe if you learn to play the violin, uh, maybe you need to uh, play it a lot for some years, but then you can maybe like turn it down and focus on other stuff. And I think that it's a, it's a matter of focus, right? With everything. So two interesting things. Firstly, I believe what you said is uh, like focus on one thing, but I also think that one thing, that one element of your life is connected to everything else. I mean, I believe that everything is everything or everything connects to everything on a kind of a quantum level or a metaphysical level. So changing one area of your life, for example, let's say fitness, I believe that will automatically start changing different areas of your life, like your social life, maybe your confidence level or, um, or the way you're doing daily, like how productive you are in your mind, how fresh it is. So it automatically starts. So I believe um, somewhere it's important to identify that nodal point. This me and Kanade also spoke about this. Whereas like we're in our system, uh, when there's an issue that happens, there's like probably one nodal point in that system, that one individual element sometimes that is causing it. Uh, and if that one thing can be pinpointed and, and kind of uh, adjusted, then the entire system changes. And I know there's a lot of ancient, so this might be, you, you might actually be interested in this. So there's an ancient technique in India called Nadi Pariksha, which Nadi basically is like this part of your hand, like your pulse. So what these guys do is they put three fingers and they feel your pulse for a few uh, seconds or minutes. And just based on your pulse, they can tell you your entire like physical body's structure or like problems or anything. And you don't, don't tell them anything. This is their way of diagnosis. They don't actually do any technological tests or scans or anything. Just with your, their, your pulse, they can exactly figure out what issues you have in your body. They can figure out that nodal point that if you, for this issue, if you do this exact thing, it will fix all these different issues. So I just think that's crazy, but something I want to ask you in that case, because I know you're into health and fitness and self-improvement and also technology on the other hand, how these two kind of fuse uh, in, in ways of perhaps transhumanism somewhere there's one belief that um, we can use technology to alter our, our bodies or how we function to turn our bodies into a sort of canvas. We're able to just genetically program ourselves, able to pinpoint that part of our body and then just kind of fix it, like just code, code it in and fix it. And this is a little futuristic. But then there's another view, which is like human beings have an ancient uh, ability, this kind of intuitive ability that we have within us and using this external stuff like it could be pills, drugs, technologies, anything that you're taking externally, putting into your body to alter your body or your consciousness or any of that stuff is uh, detrimental to humans. So I'm curious to know your take on this. Where do you stand with this and how, how do you go about this process? Yeah, like most people will tell you uh, drinking a protein shake is bad because it's not natural. But I mean, of course, what's natural right like what what is nature like i think what that's the main nature? point like <laughs> what is nature i mean I, I i'm not sure if you've seen slavoj zizek video on i'm not sure if i pronounce it right slavoj zizek like the, the the famous philosopher uh i'm not sure I, I i don't know if i've not heard of him but yeah so what is nature uh so slavoj zizek as as the video i shared to you maybe you can put it in the description um he goes to a residue plant and he and he says this is nature right like this is part of nature i mean 
if you go to a nuclear reactor, that's part of nature because we are nature. I mean, of course, it's artificial in the sense that we've made it, but if something that comes from nature makes it, that is nature in itself, right? Like everything is nature. I mean, I mean, of course, pl plastic is not na natural by people's standards, but I guess it comes from nature in a way, right? So saying that what's natural or not, that's kind of, uh, I don't think that's too scientific, right? Because we are just a bag of chemicals. And, and if you just put chemical, like you're putting chemicals if you eat an apple and you're also putting chemicals if you eat uh, testosterone, like if you inject testosterone, for example, you're just putting chemicals in your body, right? I mean, how can I mean, you that's say- what Terence McKenna says, right? We're a walking bag of chemicals. And so how do yeah. you distinguish between natural and not natural and that you are natural and uh, what you eat is natural, but like things like technology or plastic or it has detrimental effects like everything else, but how do you decide it's not natural? And just one more thing is uh, there's a philosopher called Kevin Kelly. I think you must've heard of him. He's the founder of Wired Magazine. He writes about this and he calls that the world of technology and things we call not natural is actually uh, called the technium. And it's the seventh kingdom of nature. So it is not something that's separate from us. It is an extension of us. Another two philosophers or psycho philosophers, they talk about this, David Chalmers and Andy Clark. They speak about how technology and tools are the extensions of the mind and the extensions of human beings. And calling these things unnatural is unnatural in a way like how could you say that's not a part of you like we're using technology to have a conversation to create a new reality to interact and so if you're saying that's not natural then i would say that the person who's saying that's not natural maybe not natural and that but that's just like value judgment and a joke yeah i mean the, the fact that the eyes and the smartphone were uh were created through different processes that doesn't mean that they don't respond to us um creating something to to live better, right? And to evolve. And I think that with like technology, of course, is, is kind of risky because of everything has its downsides. But for example, when it comes to, let, let's say uh, I want to engineer myself and I take testosterone because I will feel better and I will uh, be able to walk more and feel stronger. Of course it has its downsides, right? But it also has its positives and it comes to us to outweigh what is uh, good or bad, but I, I think you, like, of course you need to take it into consideration. It's not like, oh yeah, it's an external thing. You should not do it. Uh, I mean, for example, the, the example I, I put a lot is cars. Uh, of course, cars are risky, right? Like, you know, if you get in a car, you have a risk of colliding of, or of dying, whatever, but you take the car because it's faster, right? Like you would not choose, uh, like uh, do a hundred kilometers walking because it's risky to die in a car. Like, uh, I think that's, that's obvious, right? And, and, and I think it's the same with, uh, with bioengineering yourself. Uh, it's a matter of uh, managing the risks. It's knowing where the risks are. And if there's a big enough reward for it, um, everyone will take it even if it has some risk to it. Uh, I mean, of course, everyone takes caffeine, uh, caffeine to, to perform better. And people know that they will maybe like sleep worse uh, or maybe it can give you insomnia, but people still do it because they are like, okay, I think like the risk reward is, is fine for me. And, uh, and yeah, continue. continue. So, yeah, so, so, on, go on. 
this is actually very interesting because it, I believe it connects to the entire domain of economics and how we're trying to mitigate risk or uh, figure out how to find the balance. Because so, everything I believe comes in a spectrum. On one side, if you go, it, it de detrimental, is detrimental and damaging. And if you go on the complete other extreme, it's again damaging. And I believe that somewhere, if you can find the center, just the right amount, then that is what kind of brings nature in harmony and homeostasis. And that's what uh, systems are trying to do, right? They're always, they go in feedback loops and uh, uh, like understanding reward and, and uh, cost based on information that is being transferred through the system uh, in order to find the balance, in order to come to an equilibrium. So uh, it connects to this idea that Kanadi used to talk about, and I mean, well, he still talks about it, but not as much, but the whole idea of using data and information to, in order to facilitate better decision-making and in order to bring individuals to the center, not one extreme right or left or whatever, good or bad or anything, but just the right amount. And same thing applies to an organization, a company. How can we use data and information uh, in order to optimize the company's performance and experience and everything? And then on another level, you can go societal and how do you use data uh, within a society to, to create a sort of economy that's that kind of brings, uh, that is in sync with nature and brings everyone to the center, that uh, all these externalities that these different things have, right? Like uh, drinking caffeine has externality, using the car has benefits, but it also has externalities. How can we use data and an economic system that accounts for the true cost and true loss, or sorry, true cost or true benefit of, of that action, positive and negative externality, and include that in the, in the economy so that we're kind of always coming to the center and then uh, using data-driven economy uh, and somewhere you could decentralize that, right? Using crypto and uh, create a sort of decentralized crypto economy that's data-driven, sort of like the way karma works in order to bring um, individuals and society to a balance. So I don't know if that yes. makes sense because I said a lot, but I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um... I think we have to accept that there's always losses, right? Like when you design a system that can fail, uh, like you know there's going to be car accidents, but you still accept it because it's more practical, right? And I think with some things, people uh, focus too much on the losses. People, It's like, oh yeah, if there's going to be one uh, life lost, then it's not worth it. And of course, I'm not saying that losing a life is not tragic or anything like that. But I mean, like, how do you how do you are objective enough that you're like, yeah, we are gonna uh, lose a hundred people a year if we do this project, but then it will out it will be outweighed by the rest. Like that's kind of like saying that out loud. Uh, it's kind of like not popular, right? It's like, oh yeah, but like you know, people's gonna die. It's like yeah, but. I also know that it's going to benefit society, society as a whole. So that's kind of uh, what I see people doing. People kind of don't don't like to be objective in that sense. They they focus too much on little details. Maybe they focus too much on the losses or focus too much on what's to gain. Um, and, so and that, I believe that yeah. this one reason may be that we're sort of conditioned as human beings to see more of the dystopia, right? In the whole conversation between utopia and dystopia, most movies that start off like great futuristic societies turn out to be some crazy messed up dystopian narrative, right? There's so many books that are written about this, like uh, Sir Thomas More's Utopia or uh, what is it, Aldous Huxley's 
I forget the name, but uh, there's so many books on, on, on like this, this utopian narratives that turn dystopian, even like Black Mirror. So somewhere I believe that the dystopia, we show it or, or it's a part of how we see things, gla- glass half full or half empty, uh, the negative side, in order to balance us out. Because if we keep on going in one direction and no one is saying that, hey, this might actually cause a lot of detrimental issues that you need to look after, then we're not, never going to like look after that or mitigate that. Like even with cars and technology, right now there is losses, but I mean, innovation and the process of uh, improvement is all about, okay, how can we mitigate the risks? How can we reduce the risk to, or risks or the detrimental sides to as less as possible? Like, but as you said, uh, like, uh, like the law of marginal diminishing returns, we're never actually going to uh, have no risk in anything. There's always going to be a little bit, always, no matter how much we improve. But uh, it's all about seeing the positive and negative and uh, not being. So I believe that emotions play a big role in this human emotions and how we get really emotional about a lot of things and move off like this, this balance. But having this economist mindset or like this view where you're at the center and seeing things as they are, I believe, um, can be very, very profound. And somewhere it may sound dystopian, but I feel like uh, the truth or that center is 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 not the, a sweet thing that we can say. It is the truth is quite harsh and the truth can be quite uh, dark in a way. But accepting it, I believe, actually allows us to see the light as well instead of running away from it. But uh, this brings me to one more point or or a question of a sort, which is how do you believe that we can actually go about doing this thing, uh, which is like not mitigating the risks that we have um, using things like, so different tools. That's another thing I wanted to know about. Like what tools do you believe you use individually or society can use in order to mitigate these risks uh, and create like better things? So like technology is one thing we've speak, spoken about, but there's also tools like psychedelics and, and tools like meditation or different tools to like come to the center or, or open up your mind and, and sort of like expand human evolution or human consciousness in a way. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, actually, you you read my mind because I was going to take my point to in a utopia, do we accept uh, bad things, right? Like, for example, I understand a utopia uh, as a situation where everything is good. But of course, like there there has to be some downside to things, right? Like, so, so like, does the utopia exist in that sense? Is there... Is there a society where there are no casualties, where uh, there are no bad thoughts, bad feelings? Uh, do we do we do we even want that? Like, do we want to mitigate bad feelings? I mean, I think you need to feel bad sometimes to know that as, a, as negative feedback, right? Like, you need to have negative negative feedback to improve yourself. So, if you say utopia, where where a place where you're mitigating all the bad, I don't think that that's taking you somewhere, right? And, and yeah, when it comes to tools, um, I, I think you mentioned my, the, the main one I would think is, is the one that works, is psychedelics. Uh, and the main, reason, the main reason is ego dissolution. Uh, I think the, the main thing we can do to be objective when taking decisions is taking our ego out of it. It's, it's knowing that uh, if it's accepting the also, also accepting the bad outcome for you, like because maybe the pe- the person who's taking the decision 
let's say you're like in a in a centralized state uh, where you want to give more to the people um, if you're in the in the elite if you are a billionaire um, of course you you if you take a good decision you need to accept that you're going to lose right uh, if you're jeff bezos and you're like okay i want to improve the world uh, you know you need to pay them more and you're losing in that sense so that that comes through ego dissolution that that's got, that comes through taking your ego out of it and being like okay i think i know like, i think i, I should um, put the good of the others before my own and and i think that's 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 what i would look in a decision maker it's putting the people before themselves but also that's not what everybody does right i mean we're a system where we're individual of course you're gonna look for you're gonna be selfish you're gonna look for yourself so how can you how can you coordinate coordinate those two things right how can you be individualistic but put the good of the others before yourself and that's one of the things i struggle the most with is is conciliating that so this is very interesting man because so two three things you spoke about one is the the good versus the bad how do you know what is good versus how do you know what is bad right like this duality we struggle with and then you spoke about how um we have or, or psychedelics as a tool to dissolve your ego because the ego is the self self sense of self that separates us from the world and makes us selfish in a way uh where we're not able to where we always want our good and like where uh, we're able to like uh, not think about others or take others into consideration and while doing this and in a way selfishness turns into greed and there's this paradoxity like how I, I need to be an individual in order to exist but at the same time not become so extremely individualistic or narcissistic or greedy where I'm causing more destruction but at the same time not so like uh, fully like no ego love peace and light and like oneness where uh, like you go to a completely other extreme and i mean there you would just cease not not cease well would not cease to exist or, or you would cease to exist you would not actually exist if you became one with everything so uh, i believe the balance or at least how i have been able to reconcile with this this duality is through the philosophy of taoism which speaks about without good, there is no bad or without bad, there is no good. And like it, so in, in a sense, utopia, which we say is the perfect society, does not actually mean the good society. I believe utopia, which translates to no place, means the society that's always in the center, that is the truth, which we're always moving closer and closer towards, but never really there. It's, it's that sense. So I don't actually believe there can be a light without darkness or darkness without light. Even like when you say, think in terms of physics, and so I believe like this whole philosophy of Taoism has shown me how to like find that balance where you're not going extremely into one place of going completely um, materialistic or individualistic and, and, and completely like uh, very ego driven, but at the same time, not going to the other extreme and finding the balance between the two. So that's just uh, how I deal with it. But that being said, um, I'm curious. So when we think about technology or, or, uh, tools like we were talking about, do you believe psychedelics are those tools that when they dissolve our ego, because I believe they take us to one extreme. 
So I'm curious to know, do you believe psychedelics can actually bring people to center? Because if yes, then basically the solution you're saying all world political leaders or leaders in the world should do is basically start taking psychedelics and then just start microdosing or having full on ego debts in order to in order to become better leaders. So is that what you're opting for? Or, or what is the tool that you're saying will bring us to the center? Well, I mean, I'm not sure the extreme is the solution, right? Because maybe uh, you would get to the conclusion where if you don't want to pollute the world anymore, maybe suicide is the best option. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to, I, I don't want to pollute anymore. I don't want to give any more residues to the world. Then I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. I mean, that's kind of like how I see the extreme. It's like uh, taking yourself completely out that you will finish your life. And of course, that's not a solution, like, obviously. Uh, and it's a thing, it's a term about balance, but I think that balance is kind of complicated because there's a balance uh, when it comes to the system and a balance when it comes to the parts. Uh, like, of course, you need to take an individualistic action maybe sometimes, but, but maybe you're doing a, an action that is balanced throughout the system. So, or, or you're like, it's like, yeah, it, it goes, it goes different, right? For example, uh, I, I've seen uh, in Spain, there's has been a lot of debate uh, these days because a, a really famous YouTuber went to Andorra, which is a country next to Spain where they pay less taxes. Um, and, and he has done that, so he has done that to pay less taxes and he, he is uh, paying less to the country and, and contributing uh, less to society. And and of course, that's bad for society, but good for him. So how can you say like, okay, I'm going to go to another country to earn more and pay less taxes is good or bad. It's a thing about uh, optics on if you see it from the point of the system or the point of the individual. Uh, and of course, since we are all individuals, I think the like, I don't think there's any person that is able to look through the lens of the system uh, objectively. We, are, we will always look through the point of the individual. Like we are a, 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 such a complex system that no one is, no one has a view of the system. Like I don't think even we understand the concept of society. Like the fact that we arrange ourselves in, in this so complicated way, I don't think like people really understand like how like what is the state, right? Like it's like, it's an entity in itself. It's the sum of our parts. Like it's so complicated to think in systems because we are used to think in units. So uh, when the sum of the parts sums more than the, uh, well, no, yeah, well, yeah, when the sum of all the parts is less than like the collective sum, uh, that's hard, right? Like we, I don't think we really, understand that as, as individuals what, what's your what's your take on that yeah man i think this is quite interesting because i'm actually reading about systems thinking right now learning about that uh, and also this uh, idea that Canadati speaks about i believe in theoretically it is possible because imagine with the growth of iot systems right when we're able to gather so much data about everything and when you blow that up on steroids and when you have so this is very very futuristic but think about each and every atom through nanotechnology whether that's my water bottle everything everything my entire reality i can gather data on on every single every single subsystem or every element in a large system, if I can gather data about the movement of it and information, 
and uh, flow that through the entire system where you as an individual would know everything. You would be connected to everything through this through technology. And uh, there was a sort of collective system that was telling you your individual decisions through your phone. So let's say you wanted to make a decisions whether uh, you should be doing something or not, whether that's good or bad. Well, if there was this IoT system that calculated that uh, accurately, the, the cost or benefit of that action to the entire system, then it could tell you the true cost or true uh, benefit of the action you're doing. And then that, that is more like, that's the perfect information you have, right? I mean, capitalism says that it, when people have information, they, they make the right decisions, but that's not true, actually true because our economy doesn't actually reflect the true costs or true um, benefits of each action. So for example, eating a McDonald's burger, it costs a couple of dollars to buy one, but truly the true cost of that McDonald's burger is so much more. Because like, let's say if it's beef, it's causing so much carbon emissions to the environment, it, then there's personal cost to my health, to my wellness, to my, depending on my physique and what my body is able to take and not. And the true cost is just right now not not actually uh, reflecting in our economy or in our currency. But if there was a sort of uh, cryptocurrency or a currency that was driven by data that had information about the entire system, the entirety that we can think of, well, it's infinite, but that we can think of, or at least our planet, then I believe that there is some scope to, to coming to that center or making decisions that are not good in an extreme or bad in an extreme, but right in the center. Does that make sense? Yes, I mean, in, in data science, uh, the mantra is that you are as good as your data. Like, it doesn't matter how good of a decision uh, maker you are. If you have bad, bad data, you're going to make a bad decision, right? I mean, of course, you could also make a bad decision uh, with good data. But the point is that you need to have the good data. But, but what's, what's the good data, right? Like, it, it comes to the truth. Like, how do you know what's the truth? And how do you know that the data you have is good? Um, because maybe you start getting in a loop where you're all the time questioning uh, if the ideas that are, that are um, incoming are good or bad, but you also need to accept those ideas uh, in order to take the solution. Uh, so it's, that's kind of the, the hard part. It's knowing what data we should consider uh, when making good decisions and what's what's noise and what's really information that's actually usable um that's that's kind of like the challenge in all of the decision making with data it's uh not it's like the systems are i don't think are the problem like once you have the once you have the facts it's kind of simple to just uh consolidate them in a conclusion right it's what what facts do you use uh, how do you get those facts? It's that's that's where the that's where the difficulty is. And so and one thing, man, this brings us to a very interesting topic of the truth, right? The veritas, as a, uh, as you'd say in Latin. So how that it, in itself, it's a very philosophical concept that you can go into in like metaphysical ways and and stuff like that. But the truth, essentially, in the branch of philosophy that hits it, it I believe, is epistemology, which is how do you know what you know. And so given that you study data science and you have this mindset of a data scientist uh, and also you said philosopher in some way. So I'm curious to know how, what is your take on the truth and uh, how do we actually find the truth objectively? And it could be truth with a small T or truth with a capital T. 
Well, I mean, right lately I've been on a nihilist tangent. I don't think truth really exists. Uh, I think that's and and I want to believe truth exists, right? Like I would really love to have the the faith in truth. I would love it. I would like I would like to have the faith in truth, but I don't have it. I, I don't have it. I I think everything is relative to yourself, uh, and I think. We, since we live in subjectivity, what's true is like I am. I am pragmatic in that sense. Like I, I, I like I like pragmatism because I think what's true is what's useful, right? For at least for me, that's what I apply in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I try for me, truth is what makes my life and the others better. Like that's truth for me. Like I, I don't think there's like a a capital T truth uh, because people have different views and and we I don't think there's a way to reconcile them like I don't think you could sum all opinions on a topic and have the truth right I don't think that it, it works that way of, of course truth is gonna be the the different parts it's like a circle right like if you sum a circle like you don't get the you don't get the main point it's like the, the circle in itself it's all the different points and I think that's truth truth is not like one point it's all of them. The so that, that, that's, very, that's very interesting, man. Truth. Um, and how that connects to the co concept of utopia as well, because utopia, in a way, I see it as the truth, it, as the perfect society, as that state of godliness, right? That state of perfection where everything becomes everything. And but it's, I think it's paradoxical because we're never going to get it. Like when you see mathematically, you're never going to get there, right? So in that sense, it doesn't exist because we're always moving closer and closer towards it, but never really there. But at the same time, I believe it's always there because, and that, that's where it gets a little bit like more spiritual in a way where people say that uh, like what is real in the here and now is the only thing that's real or that's where uh, you will find the truth in the here and now. And so I believe that somewhere it is, um, since it's, we can never get there, it is in the here and now, it is in the present. Utopia is now, that's why the name comes. And, and in that way, I believe that the truth is, um, it's like Nietzsche would say, right? Uh, Fred, Frederick Nietzsche, God is dead or the truth is dead because of that, because it's never actually that we can never get there. So there is no point holding on to it or getting people to conform by that one truth because we have the subjective nature of our reality where we're separated and we only see a small part of it, never the entirety. Um, but that being said, man, uh, how do you think, so if you take this on another extreme, the subjectivity, like the only thing you can know that is the truth on another extreme is, is your own self or your own consciousness. And I've met a lot of people who have this extreme view of solipsism, uh, which is a philosophy that says that the only thing that's real is you. Everything that you see around you is not real. And you could say it's kind of like the simulation theory and that everything is an illusion and there is no reality. And that the only thing you can be sure of is your own consciousness and yourself. And so it goes in an extreme where people can get really narcissistic, but uh, I'm curious to know what's your take on this. Yes, right. Uh, I think it comes to what's ideal or what's practical. Like, of course, uh, and, and, it, and, it, and it's the same with individualism and society. Like, uh, in I, ideally, I would love to put uh, the others before myself. Ideally, I would love to do it. But the practicality of it is that everyone's gonna look uh, for themselves first. 
So that's what you do. You, you put yourself first and you, you create your own reality. You create your own truth. Uh, and of course, like, I, I can just vouch for my reality at the end of the day. Like, I cannot, I mean, I won't say that the other people's realities are wrong or, or bad or, or good. Like, I don't, I don't think I have a say in their realities from other people, in a sense. Like, I just can um, criticize my own. And I think that's the problem. It's, it, Do you actually I, I believe, one question to clarify, do you believe that there is another? That's what I was saying. Like, I'm not sure if your phenomenal experience exists. I mean, of course, like, of course, like, uh, I would think that you do, but I'm not sure. Like, maybe you're just an AI. Like, maybe you're just a simulation. But the thing is, I will never know that, right? Like, I will just be able to experience my own body. And I'm not sure if the other people are feeling the same. Like, I'm not sure if rats is like, of course, like colors, right? Like, are, are colors true? Uh, of, for, for you, yes. Like, I mean, red is red, right? But how do, we in, how do we interpret it? Like, how do I know that the colors are not inverted for you, right? Right, I see what you're saying. And we speak about this in our previous podcast where our language creates a reality and there's like people who see certain colors and don't see other colors, whereas there's some other people who see certain other colors but don't see some colors. So then what does that say about the nature of our reality? Well, I, I, I want to touch on that, on that tribe example, mm, because I'm, I don't agree with that. I, don't, I, think, I think phenomenal experience is kind of the same in a way, like if you don't have a word for blue, it doesn't mean that you are not able to differentiate it. It, it means that you are not able to like process it, right? But I, I think it's still blue. It just, you, you cannot say it's blue. Well, th that's the thing, right? It's language that comes in. There's like, objectively, I'm saying, yes, it exists. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not saying blue doesn't exist. Objectively, it does. But that language, like they see it as something else because of their language. They don't have a word for that thing. So they don't see it as the same thing as us. So blue doesn't exist because language is just a like just like random things that are coming out of our mouth that we created but objectively yes it exists it's just us putting the word blue on that thing and saying it is that does that make sense yes but i don't agree with it i, I don't think tell, tell me more i don't think uh, language is the base layer of knowledge i don't think knowledge is encoded in language in itself like i i think like the information like the information is not uh, red or blue. It's the, it's just how the, it would be like the electrical signals of your brain processing it. That's the, that's what you see. It's not if you are able to put a word for it, like you may not be able to put a word for it, but inside your brain, it's still a different shade of color. Like if, if I show you blue and, and green, and you just have how, and for you it's the same word. That does not mean that your brain uh, has the same signal for those two shades, right? Like I, I mean, and and that's uh, my my, philo my philosophy professor uh, in back in high school. He used to say that we are words. That that of all of our consciousness, consciousness is made out of words. 
but I don't agree. I think that is kind of like a kernel. I think we think in concepts before words. I think the concepts are, are in our brain and, and even if I did not have a word for chair, I would still be able to have that concept inside my head even if I don't have a word for it. And, and I kind of know it because I have to experience it. Uh, it was in a, in a kind of harsh psychedelic trip where my word processing started going slower than my concept processing. And I, get, and I got to a point where I was thinking in concepts, right? Like the, the words were not as fast and the con I, I was just thinking in concept. It, it, it's kind of, it's, some, it's one of those things that you cannot really explain what thinking in concepts is. But, but it's, it's basically like images, where, right? Like models rather than words is what you're saying. Yes, 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 yes. I, I think the word is an attachment. I, I, think, I think of the word of the sticker you put to it more than the object itself, right? So you're saying you think in stickers, is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I think the word is the sticker. I, I think the word is like... You know, okay, language I mean, is stickers on concepts. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. But, and, and I think in your brain, the concepts come before the stickers, before the language. I think if you see something, you get the image first, right? You don't get the word for it. Or at least that's how I think. I, I don't right. like... I so think I've, you, I've read an article on this where there's different people. There's some people who think in words and they hear a voice. And there's some people who absolutely don't see any words or any voices. They just see images. So yeah. I think it's subjective, but uh, this, this whole idea of language creating a reality versus not like a reality existing uh, without it, I, I see what you're saying. And it's weird. It, it's interesting how actually that you say on a psychedelic trip, because uh, I'm sure you've heard of Terence McKenna, the psychedelic philosopher. Yeah. And he yeah. says, so I don't know how, so tell me what you think of this quote that he says, but he says, reality is a culturally, san uh, sorry, reality is a culturally sanctioned, linguistically reinforced hallucination. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes what sense. is your take on this quote? Mm, I don't think the brain is encoded in language. I think the brain is encoded in the perceptual information that you get. The sensory information comes before language, right? Like, like of course, language shapes your reality. And when it comes to thought, I also think that, uh, I mean, like, yeah, like I would say like thought sometimes uh, can be language, but in a way, like, I don't think it, it's the, it's kind of like what's the, the smallest part. I think there is something like lower, right? Like it's kind of like the kernel. I, I mean, I'm not sure if you know what a kernel is uh, or code like, okay, so there's like the hardware, right? There's, there's the hardware in a computer and then there's the code, which is how you uh, send um, instructions to it. And then in between those two parts, you have the kernel, which is how you translate uh, the 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 instructions to to the to the system like how how do you process them such that you make the parts in the system move and and i think language is kind of the the programming code and i think the brain is the hardware but i think there's like a something in between them i don't think like language is directly onto the brain i think there's like a kernel where we think in concepts and, and I think that kernel, for example, in the brain, I would say it's kind of like electrical signals, right? Um, and I, I think it's just like an, 
that the encoding of your thoughts is an electrical signal. It's not the world itself. At least that's how I see it. I'm not sure if you're following me. Yes, yes. I see what you're saying, man. And some image that I saw of this. So like, again, my words turned off and I was seeing certain images, but I see if um, it's kind of like uh, an artist when he starts off with a plain canvas, or let's say it's an artist that's using a canvas that's made out of clay, right? Have, you know what clay is, right? Like it's a mm. flat sheet of clay that is completely, that there's nothing on it. And so I believe that's like the pure consciousness or where nothing is actually there is just purity. Right. And then I believe then the uh, artist starts writing stuff on it or drawing stuff on it and like, like making impressions on it. And I believe that, that somewhere that what you, I, that's what I saw where language is on that canvas, you can write, but at, at the same time on that canvas, you can create models, you can create images, you can create art and you're impregnating or you're, you're uh, creating impressions on that canvas. So in a way, uh, I don't know if I would say consciousness, consciousness is like a, canvas but i do believe somewhere consciousness has uh these in a way it's like a canvas where it has these receptors that is able to take in information and process information and and create something out of it in our mind so that we see this sort of projection but when there is no uh, like when there is no impression on it uh then i believe it will be pure that's where like if you think about children where little babies they are so pure because I believe that they have not been uh, conditioned or not being the, their canvas where, where they're so pure that nothing has been written on them. And a big part of the writing comes through language, right? Like our cultures, our beliefs, we speak and learn in language. But at the same time, obviously, there's so many other things like we don't see words when we look at things. We see things we see actually like shape and form. But then that's not actually the entirety of what's going on. Right, like there, there's this whole thing that the brain is actually only taking in a certain amount of information and is able to perceive only a certain amount of limited information. Uh, like on the electromagnetic spectrum, it's only that little small part that we're taking and not the entirety. So somewhere I believe that it also comes down to the capacity of our consciousness. How, how big is our canvas? How much information can it take? And right now it's obviously only this much, but I believe with tools like psychedelics um, that that canvas is going to become bigger and bigger. And uh, perhaps, I, I mean, I don't know what's your take on this, but you told me about biohacking. And so I'm, I'm curious to know like how you think nootropics and biohacking and, and uh, these exter or these technologies can be used to expand our consciousness in a way or make our canvas a little bit bigger. Uh, yes, I mean, I don't, I don't think of consciousness as a, as a blank slate because I think we have so much prior encoded knowledge in our brains um, that I, I don't think, yeah, it's like a nature, it's the nature versus nurture debate, right? Uh, and I think we've evolved to have, like, I mean, I think we have a lot of information already inside our brains. Like human behavior is learned, but it's not, I mean, it, some, some of it is learned from parents, but I think some of it is just genetical. Um, like, for example, like uh, uh, sex attraction. Sex attraction like, is not something that you could teach, right? Like, it's not like you learn that from your parents. It's wired inside your, inside your brain. And you know what you like, but but you don't know why. And I, And it's not that anyone teaches you that it's something you've learned uh, through evolution. Um, it's, uh, and it's the same with will in a way, like what you like 
it's not something that you can decide, but it's in your brain and it's encoded somehow. It's, it's there. And I, I think that one might take on the debate is, for example, I'm not sure if you think everything so, is shapeable or not. But. So do you, be, do you believe only in like, so are you going with nature or nurture? Because so yeah, first that and then I'll give my comments. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mix, but I think nature has a bigger role, at least from my experience, because, I mean, at least from mine, because I have not been, uh, I mean, I have been nurtured, but I, 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 for me, at least, I think I'm able to think objectively enough, where I've gotten to the point where I can see where some idea I have is because it's my, my inside primate uh, telling it, telling it, or it's because of other ideas I had in the past or not. So this is interesting, man, because it ties into a lot of points we've spoken about before, uh, which is about firstly connecting to uh, uh, genes versus memes. And then that like the third element is teams, which is technological information, information passed around through technology, which is what you said you learned a lot through. You learned through teams, which is information on, in, on the internet, on technology, transferred through technology. Uh, but then there's genes, which you're talking about, what is the genetic information that's encoded within us, in our genes, in our biology. And I believe back in the day when we didn't have language or we didn't have technology, uh, tools like language and technology, we did more uh, genetically passing down information, which is from our experience, we're learning things that learning is altering our genetic, uh, how we're made up, our biology. And that biology is being transferred through reproduction and it's continuing. And so evolution is learning through biology constantly. But so that's on one side. And yes, I completely agree. But on the other side, now we've progressed from biology and genes to to memes, which is like passing information through language, which is uh, metaphorically the, 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 the a singularity we had, right? Where through language, we're able to see somewhat inside each other's minds what is going on and share a sort of reality that, oh, I see this. Do you also see this? Yes. That forms a shared reality that reinforces that I live, that I exist and that, that, that like I feel safer. But now we're going on to teams, which is uh, information through technology. Right, and that's going even faster and faster. So this whole debate about uh, nature versus nurture, I believe is now moving towards nurture because like you said, you're able to reprogram your mind so easily. And now we have things like uh, nootropics or external things that you can take in order to alter your biology, in order to use your body as a canvas to genetically code it yourself rather than depending on nature. So then it's like a debate, right? Like if you're saying you believe more that we've gotten this information through nature before uh, on the genetic side, then, and if you're vouching for that, then should we even be having these technological changes and these external things that are nurturing us in a way where we're altering our, our, our perception, our, our cells, our biology from the external? Do you see the debate or the, the conflict in thought that I'm, I'm talking about? Yes, yes, yes. And I have, the, I have that conflict uh, every day. I mean, like you always, for example, you always want to eat more than you need. And that's, that's just evolution because evolutionary, uh, you need to, like when you have food uh, in front of you, you want more than you need because you don't know if you're going to get that, right? But society right now, you know you can get more food. But that's why people, that's why people get fed because their brain tells them to eat more than they need uh, in case they, because we were um, programmed back when we were monks. So then we, ha we had scarcity of food 
and our brain was shaped by scarcity of food. Now that our reality doesn't have that scarcity of food, uh, we still function as we had it. And, and, I, and I think that's why I don't think it's, it's so easy to reprogram yourself because uh, rewiring stuff that is so deep down in you, uh, it's really hard. It's changing what you like. In, and it's really hard to change what you like and what your body tells you to do. Like, that's why, that's what, that's an idea I wanted to introduce is, could we rewire us to just like uh, the current reality such that we could make the current reality the utopia? So just uh, instead of seeing like, oh, there is so much bad in the world, could we just rewire, rewire us to like what is bad? And then we would live in our utopia, right? It's like, oh yeah, there's hunger in the, in the world, right? Oh, that's bad. I know that's bad right now, but what if I, just, I could just convince myself that hunger in the world is a good thing? Like, then I would be way happier. Then I would live in my utopia. That would be amazing, right? But I'm, I, I still cannot do it. I, I mean, no matter how hard you try to convince yourself that something is... Uh, is good if it comes from a place uh, so so deep inside your consciousness that I don't think you can change. I mean, maybe you can change it throughout time, but it's not something you could convince. Like you, you cannot convince someone that they should like that girl because it's something so um, primate that that it's not possible to do it. And and I think, I mean, of course you can. It's like you can rewire your your higher levels, but I, the, the levels deep down, uh, they are, we just need to accept that we cannot change some of the things uh, we do as, as humans. And maybe we can expect to change them over time. And, and for example, violence, I think violence in a sense is uh, wired inside us. And, but I think it's so deep within us that it's, no matter how hard you, no matter how many podcasts you do to a violent person, I don't think he's going to change deep down, right? So this is very interesting, man. Very, very interesting. Because essentially what I see you talking about is uh, expanding the limits or fighting against the human condition. Because we are conditioned to see the world in dualities, good and bad. There are certain things that are bad and certain things that are good. That's how Mother Nature has kind of evolutionarily formed us to to believe right and so how do we so back in the day it like you said it, it was very beneficial because we didn't have food we had to be on the lookout we had to always see things good and bad but now the world or or the systems that we live in have become so complex i mean uh the the, the complexity of the entire universe is is so crazy that we can't just put things into boxes of good and bad. We need to kind of surpass that. And I believe that most uh, practices that are like spiritual in nature, or spiritual texts or philosophy, even I don't like the word spiritual, but more like philosophical ideas and practices, uh, I believe are basically to combat that is to how can we uh, sort of expand our consciousness in a way where our condition is not limiting our conduct where our past beliefs, where uh, the way we've been uh, conditioned, uh, nurtured and conditioned like from the external, but also internal, which is even more difficult, right? Like biology, how do we actually uh, go against, not against, but like surpass the limit of this? And so one more thing you said, love versus war, or you said, how do we go against war? I believe um, 
the philosophy of Taoism again says that the way to do that is, is just to accept it instead of kind of uh, fighting against it, saying no war, no war, no war. That, I don't believe that's actually the solution. It is to accept it because once we accept it, uh, we're able to see both the sides of the coin and then come to the center, which is that, okay, maybe we don't need to do this. There is a way in the center that works for two people um, uh, that, and so that they don't have to resort to violence and fighting and, and all these things. So that's on one, on one side, right? Like more practical ways of expanding consciousness and dealing with the human condition. But then on the other side, um, I believe we can go to another extreme. And so I read this article, maybe I can share it with you. Uh, I don't know who it is by, but it speaks about this... Um, Swedish philosopher called uh, Bostrom. I forgot his first name, but it's about it's an article about uh, visions of a super intelligent AI, where if we're able to upload our consciousness on a chip or a technological thing um, and have a system or have a super consciousness AI where everything becomes everything, you become a part of that bigger thing. Um, somewhere, I believe you lose your sense of self. You become a part of something bigger, a part of a, a collective consciousness, which is somewhere a sort of self-transcendence to something bigger. And you could see it as a utopia, but then there's also people who see that as, oh no, that's dystopian. And like, why would I get let go of myself? And why would I let go of this, uh, this, this person I am, which is basically this ego, this condition that separates us from this world. And I believe for that reason, uh, human beings love pain. Human beings like to see that dark side. We love to go really weirdly dark and do weird things. And uh, that, not to say like value judgment. I don't see the world as good or bad, but we do like that. We like the human condition. And then that's why we don't want to become this like super consciousness AI. But, but I'm curious to know where you stand with it. Do you believe in going like the more traditional path where we're just uh, using uh, spirituality and meditation and breath work and psychedelics and plant healing, things like that in order to expand our consciousness and rewire our, our biology and our mind? Or do you believe in the more um, techno side of things where, where we're using uh, technology and AI and, and things like that to... Uh, surpass the limits of our of the human condition and to expand our consciousness. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think uh, how would I put it in words? Uh, yeah, I think when it comes to to the superhuman artificial general intelligence. Yeah, it's it's really hard to to see how that system would behave and how could it go how could it how could it go over time because uh, we accept that we are a very lim very li very limited cognitive systems. So if you are able to create like a superhuman AGI, how do you know it's gonna have the same values as you, right? Uh, and of course, maybe it's not, you know, that that, that AGI is going to create a better world. But how do you know that it's a better world uh, for that AGI and for you? How you make sure of that? How do you, how do you tell the AGI, okay, I need to, like, I'm, it, it, let's say I accept uh, uploading myself to, to the cloud. Uh, and then, but it, and it's because I know that the world is going to go better, right? It's, we're going to be a better society if we just, if we just join our consciousness. 
how do you make sure that that won't evolve over time? That's a problem, right? It's like... How is that a problem? So like, if we speak about how biology changes, it is always transforming. We've gone from monkeys or even like single cell organisms to these complex beings that are made of carbon. But, and so when we, if we actually became a silicon based species or like a super consciousness based on AI, um, I would say that you wouldn't exist because you would just become a part of something bigger this condition, we would actually lose the, the ultimate ego dissolution in a way without psychedelics, but through uh, like this more technological uploading your mind into kind of this, this crazy freaking machine. You could think of it like a sort of matrix and you could think of that as dystopian as in, oh shit, I wouldn't exist. How the hell does that work? But well, it doesn't matter anyway. In the large scope of things, we don't matter anyway. Well, it depends. Like what's your philosophy on that then? And then how do you see like you not existing but in the larger scope of things, things progressing and increasing in complexity. Yes, but like, what, what's my motivation to do that, right? Like, I, I still want to be my, my own self, I think. Like, everyone wants to. So, like, what's it, what's it worth if you cannot enjoy that utopia? Like, if the utopia consists on you ceasing to exist, what is the point? Do you, do you really want to get there if you cannot enjoy it? Like, like that, that, that's the thing, right? Comes, you're saying you, but yeah. what is you? What is the I in, in a more philosophical sense? And, and if you speak about motivation, I mean, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs talks about this, whereas different modes of needs and that connects to motivation. And in his updated hierarchy of needs, he speaks about how the highest level of need is a self-transcendence. And it is to become a part of something bigger than yourself. And that's why we have things that religion that exists where people want to, they want to sort of purpose. They want to sort of a reason or motivation to exist and to live. And so they find something that's bigger than themselves. We, and they, they transcend themselves to that. So that in a way, this could also be a sort of a religion, but that's, I don't like the word religion, but do, do you see what I'm saying? It's like a form to transcend yourself and it's the highest form of human need and you wouldn't exist, but you anyway, like if you look at Buddhism, it says life is all suffering. And I don't know if you agree to this, but in a way it's saying that just accept it because when you accept it is when you can become enlightened and when you can come to the center and see things as they are and uh, have this ego dissolution where, where you ha you're free from your body and your mind, you have become a part of something bigger. I mean, this can go on like really extremes and I don't know if, you, if this makes sense, but. Yes, 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 I, I get it. But I mean, the sense of the self, I, I think that's the last thing I would get rid of. Like if I'm not a like if I'm not able to enjoy as an individual and be able to because the moment I cannot think if a good if a thing is good or bad is is good or bad like what is like why do I even care if something is good or bad if I cannot decide it like in a way like I cannot experience it like what's the point of on creating a better society? if the individual individuals cannot enjoy it right like it's kind of like the hedonistic b1 i think everything comes down to your to perceptual satisfaction in a way like you need to be satisfied as an individual uh, because if the system just consists on getting rid of any kind of reward uh, like you need that reward right you need to see that things are going well, if you create something that's good, but it doesn't have any reward to it, then you cannot know. You, you, you never know if it's going to be good or bad.
Like that's the thing because the moment like it's like you you need to take the decision right if you want to upload your consciousness or not but at the time you know you you, you think it's gonna be good but you need to make sure it's gonna be but you never know until you do it so i don't think anyone would do it a anyone would not like i would not join the super the the cloud of of consciousness because i wouldn't know i would i would not know if it would be good or bad for me well, can you know anything is good or bad for you, in realistically? Well, I mean, I, I know when. I mean, I, I, I. That's why I, I base myself on on pleasure and pain. Um, I mean, I, I put myself in situations like I mean, I, I, I take decisions based on if it's gonna be a ple pleasure or pain for me, and because I think that's the primal, the primal way of uh, the primal, the primal way of knowing if something is gonna be good or bad. Uh, I would love to hack that. I would love to hack my own reward function such that everything is pleasure, but I cannot. So I, I rely on it. Like th that's what I, that's one of the things about superhuman AGI, right? It's uh, how and and it has a name. And right now I should like cite it. It was from a from a from a podcast from Yosha Bach. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's like a cognitive systems expert at MIT. And he talks about how we create our own simulation, how we create our identity, how it's just a tale that we tell to ourselves. Um, and one of the things he, he, he said in a podcast was that, how do you know a, super, a superhuman AGI uh, would not hack its own reward function? Because I mean, we are work by reward functions, uh, right? So how do you, it's what I said, how do you know that the, that the AGI would just convince itself it's doing good when in reality it's doing bad. Like you, you, you know, you don't know if, it's, if that's going to happen. See, again, it goes back to the same question, man. Like how do you decide what's good or bad? That is one. And then on the other side, if you see this is in a way already happening, I mean, with Elon Musk's Neuralink where, where there's predictions that maybe it can, like when you're putting in a chip in your mind, and able to gather information about the electrical signals, then you can capture, uh, in a way, start telecommunicating. And, and if you take that to another extreme, you can start uh, completely transferring your experiences, right? Your pleasurable experiences to the rest of society. So imagine then, that, again, going back to the super consciousness AI, or maybe not AI, but a super consciousness where every mind is connected to every other mind and every other thing in this world. Um, if let's say the collective wanted to experience uh, what it feels like to go into the sun. I'm talking really sci-fi and futuristic, but uh, one person could just go there and feel it, what pleasure or pain, whatever it is. And, and then the, just if, if it's pleasure and if it's good, and if he wants to transfer that experience to everyone else through that, uh, that like that telecommunication or experience communicator, uh, that's like a new singularity, he wouldn't be able to do that. So then in a way, death would, wouldn't matter because like the collective would have the entire experience automatically. And so, again, the self dissolves, like no one would care about individuals and it can seem very dystopian. But then again, I believe dystopia and aotopia are just two sides of the same coin. I mean, we're conditioned to see things in good or bad. But as we're saying, we're trying to, if we're trying to surpass the, the condition of seeing good or bad, then we, I don't believe we can be attached to the pleasure or the pain system that our biology limits us by. Somewhere it has to transcend and become something bigger. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, uh, and, and I think I've, 
I've noticed that from you, like from seeing the other podcast is that you like the idealistic solution, right? Like, it's like, of course, you, I mean, and, and I agree that a system where we can all share pleasure and pain would be nice. The problem is when, when it comes to practicality, like, of course, if you start in that system, it's going to be fine. But uh, if, you, if you try to like bring it down to earth, let's say you want to try to make it practical. The problem is the transition, like the transition from one state to the other, because the, the individual that goes, uh, that goes uh, to, to the sun to die, that individual would not choose to join the system. And that's like, and that's the reality of it. So what's what, like, I mean, I mean, of course it's always nice to do the, the, the think experiment, but the reality of it is that no one would join because you never know if it's going to be you that, that dies against the sun. Like you, you're, you're never going to make that transition. So you got, you have to, um, you need to uh, look for a system that that it's actually uh, that people would join, right? Like you need to convince those people to do it because and that's and that comes to the individual, like that's the problem, right? I mean, we we cannot switch from individual to subjectivity like that. Like we need to we need to find a way. So just one one thing, and then I want to ask you a final question. So in relation to this super consciousness, how this, uh, the article that I, I read it in describes it, it talks about it being a soup and that it, in a way it can be futuristic and like we can get there one day in the super consciousness AI. But somewhere my belief or like somewhere I think that we are already in a soup, we're already a part of that system, the way uh, nature and reality is, is already that we already are connected to everything else uh, in, in another sense, maybe not technologically or maybe not in a way where we have created it, but the way that the system, the universe has organized itself in a way I believe has come to uh, already have that reality in the here and now. So that being said, I'm curious to know your final thoughts on uh, utopia and whether you believe we're in a utopia right now or a dystopia. And based on that, then, what is your utopia? What is your ideal utopia? Or if you could build a utopia, practically speaking, right? Not so idealistically, then uh, how would you go about doing that? Mm, I think my, my main ideas for the new utopia would be the um, um, equality of opportunity. I, I think that's, that's I, I think I want to, I would like everyone to have the same opportunities and that's utopic in a way because uh, everyone uh, is born somewhere different. Uh, but I would ideally like everyone to have the same education, have the same possibilities, and have the same access to ideas, which in a, in a way we, we already get now, but um, culturally it's impossible because of course you, you get the ideas from your parents. Uh, so I'm not sure how I would decentralize reproduction in order to, <laughs> in order to make everyone the same. Uh, I'd like people to, uh, in my utopia, I'd like people to accept everything and rewire themselves to accept the, the current reality. Like, I, I think that's my utopia, that my utopia is accepting all, all of the good and the bad in the world and just enjoying it and making it pleasurable. I think Max pleasure is, is the utopia for everyone. It's 
a system where everyone everybody gets to experience the best uh, sensorial feelings uh, in a way. I think it, it, when it comes down to it, it's kind of the the sensor. The, yeah, I think everything comes like reality should um, please your yourself, your system, like we a society that. That you know that makes everything enjoyable. I'm not sure if I explain. But yes, that. I, I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And so then to uh, to uh, to ask my first question again. That being said, do you already believe we're in a utopia, or do you think that we're in a dystopia and that we can get to a utopia still? I think we're in a dystopia in a in a in a way, but it's up to the individual to make it a utopia. Exactly right. right, because you said subjective subjectivity. No matter, like like we discussed, no matter what we do, there will always be people who see it negative, who see the dark side of things. And so, in that sense, if if there's always going to be people who see the dark and the light like differently, then doesn't it mean that even now we live in a, or at least this is my belief, even now we're in a utopia if we're able to see it, if individually I'm able to open myself up to the entire experience that this, this universe has, which is like so phenomenal and crazy just to think about that I can even exist and experience so much beauty and so much like so much, so many pleasurable feelings, right? Like that's already possible to do it right now. If you change your rewire your mind in a way, you see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I agree that utopia is here now. It's up to you to convince yourself it is and, and create that reality for you and then you'll be happy ever after <laughs> so like like you said for me it is quite idealistic like just say oh yeah just be happy and you'll you'll get by it'll become utopia just yeah. hey man just be yeah. happy but practically yeah. speaking like let's say a person is a uh, poverty stricken or like for example in america if you're born as a black person then there is systematically they're oppressed and there there's systems that don't allow us to do them to do that like yes they can theoretically like they always can no matter how dark or whatever we are in but practically speaking like we said about self-improvement society as a whole can also improve in certain ways and so then again the question lies practically speaking how could we or how would you like to create a system uh, that's utopian in a sense yeah, that's why I want uh, equality of opportunity, such that we can, everyone can, can, and we can have a meritocracy in a way. Uh, I mean, of course, you need to accept that some people are gonna take, are gonna do bad things and and take bad decisions, and then those people are gonna live in dystopia. But I think you need, like, I think in a utopia, uh, it's like some people are living in, in the utopia and some of the people are not. Uh, it's just if you take the good decisions, then you're gonna get to it. If you take the bad ones, then I'm sorry, but that's that's the system. Like I think we all agree on some rules, and if you don't follow the rules, then what can we make about it, right? But but yeah, I think uh, like the system. Like I don't think there's like the, the system. Like I don't believe in the system in a way. Like I would like to dissolve the system, and just have the individuals live in the utopia. I'm not well, sure. I see what you're saying is to create this decentralized uh, bottom up system. But even that is a system like how nature self organizes There's feedback loops and there is no leader telling nature what to do, but it still like works out. Right. So even though there is no like top down system, there is a system bottom up. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Yes, of course. I mean, of course, it doesn't make any sense to try to go against the system uh, because there's always going to be a system. But we are individuals and we need to focus on on the individuality of it and just and just try to make the best for us and the, and everyone like but but just focus on that i i think we need to take the the we just can't take the action that the actions that affect us right we cannot take actions that affect the whole system i mean we can but we we cannot change everything at the same time you just can change what you can do and i think that's the practicality of it just to get to the utopia just make the best that you can do for you and i think if everybody tries to make the best for them then all of us win at the end or not what or, or do you think do you think if someone tries to make the best for them we and we could end up in dystopia right like i mean i believe that taking making the best decisions for the self is probably the best thing because like richard dawkins say we are selfish beings and that's not bad i mean we wouldn't exist if we weren't selfish so we are conditioned to be selfish which is fine but then again I, it's all about the extremes if a person goes extreme in one direction then that will cause a lot of uh, damages to the entire system or the entire society or this entirety that we're a part of. And so essentially how I see utopia is, is kind of the same thing you said, which is a bottom-up system where individuals have the full freedom to do what they like. Um, but if they're causing damage to the system, to the entirety of the system, there is collective damage, then I believe they should be paying for the true cost of that damage. And at the same time, if they're actually doing a lot of good stuff, uh, then they should be paid for it. But currently, in the current reality, I believe that's not actually happening. Uh, the people who end up becoming richer are people who uh, use malicious ways, who use corruption or, or do things that are probably not best for the entirety of the system to become rich. Uh, whereas the people like, for example, who do a lot of social work or sustainable work have to often pay more in order to do that and, and are usually are on the lower strata of society. And so I believe there's this imbalance that we need to sort, which is to create a system that's more fair, which has more opportunities, that's more dynamic, not so static, where power is only centralized to the center and they have the ability to corrupt the system and to um, engage in crony capitalism, where they're using their power to uh, exploit the entire system, but a sort of decentralized system, which is, which is, what I, which is why I find a crypto and blockchain is super fascinating because it's decentralizing knowledge, it's decentralizing the economy in a way where we're empowering individuals and building up a society that's bottom up rather than top down. Does that make sense? So kind of replicating how nature works because nature works on individual elements. There is no one leader on the top who says that you must do this and everyone does it. No, everyone finds their own way and through feedback, uh, they they self-organize and create this beautiful reality. Does that make sense? Yes, of course, of course. And and I think like I would actually backtrack a little bit and say that that's my practical utopia. My practical utopia is focus on yourself so you can create your own, like the best reality for you. But of course, my idealistic utopia is where we where we create like the best reality for all of the people at the same time. Uh, and I would love it, but since I'm a pragmatic, like I, I don't think it's efficient to uh, revolve around the idea, the idea so much. I think it's better to focus on what we can do rather than what's ideal. Well, it, it all again. I believe so. I I think very idealistically because somewhere that gives me hope and like you know all that stuff. Yeah. 
but uh, practically speaking, I still do believe, like you said, the solution is to focus on the individuals, on individual decision making, on making objectively better individual decisions. Uh, and I think that it is possible to use technology uh, in order to actually do that. And so, for example, I've been thinking about a lot uh, about an app that could be on the mobile phone that helps people organize their life, kind of like a personal development, self-improvement app where uh, you can quantify every single thing you're doing. And obviously it's very difficult to quantify everything given that we're subjective beings, but the more and more data and the more and more truth we have about our actions. So for example, simple uh, data metrics, like what are we doing throughout our day? Like, at what time did we do what? How much sleep did we get? How much exercise did we do? How much uh, learning did we do? Like, how do we actually spend our day? If there could be a system that gathers information about my day-to-day -day actions and puts it in the form of a story so that I can see the truth, I can see reality as is, that this is what I'm engaging in. Uh, and then probably because of these reasons, this data is telling me that if I am unhappy or if I have uh, issues with one element of my life or one area of my life, the data can calculate, okay, what, is, what can I do in order to improve this? So uh, perhaps uh, maybe it's like my health is going down and it figures out that your health, my health is going down because of a particular routine of my day and what I'm engaging in. And so it could suggest or give a recommendation, which is that, okay, maybe you want to engage in this uh, based on the data that we've collected about you um, so that one can actually reflect on their own thing, get immediate feedback about their actions and grow. Does that make sense? That may seem a little bit idealistic as well, but I believe it is possible to start off really simple and create a very simple individual decision-making personal growth tool. Yes, but I think you are really harder. That's your brain. Like your brain uh, gathers all the data about what's going on in your life. And then you know, like you really know if you are uh, doing something good or bad. Of course, I mean, it's, you cannot remember all of it at the same time, but your brain already uh, has all the information it needs in order to know if it should improve or not. Like that's basically if like, I think if you, if you feel unhappy or if you feel uncontent about things, you, it's because you know that, that you could improve something and something is going uh, wrong. And that's how your brain uh, makes you step up. Well, that being said, again, it goes back to the debate of do we just rely on our what we already have within like the most natural ways that yeah, just meditate and uh, just do these natural things and your brain is already it has infinite capacity and you don't need technology or external substances or external material things that quote unquote are unnatural by some people in order to become better. It goes down there, right? But you're saying, we already have our mind. Why do we need it? In that sense, we don't no. even need our phone. We can just store all the numbers we have on our mind. We can store uh, everything that we're doing in, on, in our mind instead of the phone. Do you see what I'm saying? No, like, but like my, my problem with a phone app would be that it won't tell you anything new. Like, because what you already know, uh, like if you if if it I don't think it could convince you of something because it would tell you things that you already know information like information that it's already inside your head and if it's inside your head and it hasn't changed changed you I don't think it will change you because your phone says it. 
Yes, I see what you're saying. Uh, this is something we spoke about in the podcast with Alex, where information, just having the truth, information about something doesn't actually alter behavior or change behavior. And that's the challenge. Even if we know stuff, which we already do, even like on a philosophical level, they say that we are born with all the knowledge within us. If we can tap into it, we have ancient knowledge that's just uh, eternal. Like we, we know everything that human, uh, that, 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 that reality has gone through encoded within us but uh, still we choose to ignore it and follow some other things. And so, yes, I, I see what you're saying, that information and having this, an app that just giving you information is not as likely to change a person. And so for that, I believe, the reason for that I believe is because we're emotional beings, right? We, we have things that are uh, so-called so emotions and that, that play out and like alter our decision-making most of the times, even though we know the truth of the matter. Right. So I believe maybe then the solution is uh, more that involves emotions and more that involves not just information, but information that's turned into a story that's emotional. And so perhaps like just brainstorming off on top of my mind, I'm thinking a sort of community because when we, we interact with other people, uh, things make more sense. Things, uh, there is an emotional element to it, connecting with another human being um, and, and, and engaging in like artistic stuff that, that also like, uh, kind of helps you deal with your emotions, right? Like techno music, man. Like I love techno because because it just helps me deal with my emotions. It helps me get into a state of flow, doing artistic things um, and, and being in a rave, which with, there's so many people just being vulnerable and open and free uh, is, is sort of like, uh, in a sense, a utopia as well. So maybe we don't need a, a mobile app. Maybe we just need more techno raves. But I don't know. Man. Uh, that, that just, yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end, change comes within yourself. Like no one is going to change you if you don't have the will to change. The problem is getting that will to change. It's not about getting more information on what you need to change. You already know what you need to change to improve. Like, I don't think you need uh, to be reminded of that. You need to be convinced you need to improve it. Right, you need that will, and but at the end, will uh, is something so deep down that it's it. You cannot just run code to to add some more will to your. <laughs> no, but I believe that it is possible, right? Like to natural ways, we start off with thinking, which is in the head, and then from thinking, we go to the feeling, which is kind of our heart. Well, they say. But uh, from thinking then to feeling, I believe the next step is willing, where you there's some kind of inner force that like makes you want to do something. It's like this hard force where you're willing to take action and not just talk about it or think about it or feel these emotions. And so somewhere like most self-help and self-improvement says the only way out is to actually do something and to get into action rather than uh, being in motion and I might sound like a hypocrite talking about this because I've mainly been in motion most of my life, just thinking about stuff, reading stuff. Uh, but I thought a simple, like a very, very easy way to, to get into action is, is uh, while being in motion is through a podcast, because uh, even though we are in motion and we're just talking and not really taking action, uh, in a way, there is still an output that we, we, what we're documenting, we're putting it out in the internet, we're editing it, stuff like that. And so there is some degree of action towards it, where, which is spreading knowledge or building community, blah, 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 um, entertainment. I don't know if anyone finds this entertaining, but 
the point is that this, I, I believe that simple ways to get into action uh, and start experimenting, like you said, with different elements of our life uh, individually, like start off with one thing, experiment with it. Once it becomes a habit, once it comes into like a place where you just maintain it and it's automatic, then uh, you can start off something new and then the cycle keeps on happening. And uh, I believe that's how uh, growth and improvement can also keep on happening. And then boom, you, you scale this on a societal level, hopefully, and then you have this societal utopia, I believe. But those are my thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think that, that I, that's why I like the, the name of the podcast, Utopia is Now, because Utopia is not in five minutes and you need to think what you will do. You, will, you need to do something now. You need to take action. It's scary. I mean, it's kind of paradoxical that we entertain ideas so much. Maybe we, maybe we should do like blocks taking action, actually, instead of just talking. Uh, that would be the now in the utopia. But but yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean, of course, you need to th you need to think first the action, but but you need to take the action. Not that well, I was going to say at the end of the day, but no, you, you don't need to take the action at the end of the day. You need to take it now. <laughs> So that, that's one of the goals, man, which is now, even though this is not too much of an action in a small way it is, uh, but the goal is once there is enough people uh, and a community that wants, that has some of these beliefs and has some of these thought processes and a uh, will to improve and to grow and to create a utopia in the here and now, uh, the goal is to actually maybe create a software that connects everyone that allows people to communicate more efficiently, more effectively, uh, and creates a sort of a digital community that can also be physical, hopefully, but uh, that starts taking action, that starts creating solutions um, that, that, like you said, provide opportunity. And I, this is another idea I've been thinking about, but obviously uh, we, we can discuss that in a, on another day because it's such a long topic. Uh, but how do we, we how we do how do we create better ways of providing opportunity, better ways of learning, better modalities of organizing people in groups, in teams, in organizations, in uh, in society as a whole? So I believe uh, at least my goal with this entire this project or creating this podcast or community is to sort of get into action and find more people or find the others, like Timothy Larry says, to 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 get into action because. I believe action is best when it's collective because more people, the better. Like you're able to uh, combine different types of skills, different uh, types of thoughts so that you get the in entirety of that matter because the, pro the problems that the world faces today are so complex that cannot be solved by one person. And that's why we need a community of people that are able to let go of their ego, like you said, uh, and accept ideas that may be different from theirs. And then yet, uh, come together, cooperate, and work to create something valuable for society and to uh, create something that's utility-driven and, and purposeful and gives the maximum amount of uh, pleasure, even though I don't like the word pleasure because that's just one extreme, but maximum amount of um, happiness, I guess you could say. And yeah, man, that's the goal. Uh, I'd like to just ask you any final thoughts you have uh, as we wrap up. Uh, no, I think you already put a, a good end to it. I mean, I would invite uh, anyone that's, that's uh, come here. I mean, no, like if everyone is still listening to this, uh, you know I, I love you and <laughs> you should join this podcast because if you've, if you've listened to me for two hours and a half and kind of boring, you must be a, an amazing person. <laughs> <laughs> or just crazy like us, deep into yeah. interesting weird yeah. ideas. But yeah, thank you so much, man. And thank you for anyone who's still listening or maybe not. 
but hopefully we can we can do more of this stuff and, and I, I think we can hope someone is hopefully one day one day someone will be listening when there's enough people on this community then people are going to go back and listen to all these long talks hopefully but thank you so much man thank you for your time and uh, and providing your thoughts and your patience uh, and thank you to everyone who's listening